Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Tim Richardson. Tim is a pediatric dentist and silver owner of Acorn Dentistry for Kids. He's a triathlete and a father of six. Tim, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I'm really looking forward to this. Well, as soon as I heard you had six kids, I have five kids. So it's like, you know, it's like we automatically connect right here. So definitely. It's a different mindset once you get to that level. Yeah, I call it manage chaos. You call it chasing chickens, chasing right? Chasing chickens. And for those who don't, who, who want to know what else, he is currently living in a three-bedroom apartment with his family while his house gets renovated. So if you want to stretch your mind even further, you know, just think about that. So just find your happy place and you'll be fine. <laughs> now we know why Tim runs those triathletes, yeah. because that's the only time he gets to himself. Uh-huh. Yep. That and so, commuting. <laughs> yes, commuting. So you have a very interesting story. And I kind of want to jump right into it because you're a real entrepreneurial dentist. So you're from the Pacific Northwest. You met your wife in college. You did residency in Minnesota. Then you came back to the Pacific Northwest. Right. Kind of tell us your story once you got out of residency. And because you've moved a couple of times, you've owned a bunch of practices. Kind of give us the, the story. Sure. Coming out of residency, I already knew that I had an entrepreneurial personality type, but I didn't necessarily know how to go about making that a reality on an organizational level. I had always been personally entrepreneurial, but never had an employee, always doing things on my own. And so coming out of residency, I knew that I needed some mentorship and additional training to bring that to life. So I took a job where one, I could have full-time work and not have to commute a lot, which is funny because now I do <laughs> commute a lot, but I was looking for mentorship and experience, not just maximum income. I knew that the finances would take care of themselves. And that's what led me down to Eugene, Oregon. All right. So you go to Eugene and you start practicing and you bought into a practice there, right? I was able to purchase the practice outright from that owner a couple of years later. Okay. So you started as an associate mm -hmm. and then a brand you, new, brand new startup practice as an associate. So it's a brand new startup practice. You're an associate. And then down the, a couple of years down the road, you buy the practice out. Correct. Correct. At the same time, you realize, you know, we don't really like Eugene. We'd like to move to a smaller town. Mm -hmm. So you, you move to a town. How far away is Silverton from Eugene? It's an hour and a half each way. So an hour and a half. So now am I correct in saying you're commuting an hour and a half one way to work? That is true. When I first made that transition, I actually just drove down Monday morning and would come home Thursday night. Okay. And your wife didn't kill you? It was close, but no. <laughs> so <laughs> no, she was all in. Like it was part of the conversation. It was a mutual decision that we made. It was a good opportunity. 
we just didn't realize how long I would be making that commute. That was the surprise for us. It ended up being about three years that I was doing that. But then you started growing the practice. You started opening up satellites, correct? Yep. So I had an associate and opened up another practice the opposite direction, going north instead of south. That was about 50 minutes away and then opened a third practice that was an hour and 20 minutes away, approximately. So many times people like that might be in a big city and they'll open up a practice and they'll open up a satellite office that's maybe 15 minutes away. It's a big city. There's a bunch of people around. It's not a big deal. You're like, no, we're just going to open one up an hour, hour and a half away. Right. Yeah. I knew that I eventually I wanted to have a practice where I was living. It's just the... At that phase, I, I didn't know what I know now right? and definitely would have done things differently. I don't regret anything, but would have done things differently knowing it now. And the opportunities were there and the practices were needed in those communities. And that's why I, I handpicked those. Okay. So now you ended up selling those practices, correct? Yep. So two words or one word burnout, (laughs) you know, commuting three hours round trip, most days, six days a week, being doctor six days a week, a lot of those weeks. So hold on. So your practice was open six days a week. Well, between the three practices, I was practicing six days a week, a lot of those weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not the typical three and a half, four days a week in this situation. It was, you're going six days a week. Uh, the office might be closed one a couple days a week, but you're there. Uh, uh, different location. Different yeah. locations. And I had two associates working with me at that time. So it wasn't just me. Between the commute, you know, the, the chair time in the car, plus dentistry, six days a week, my back and neck were starting to give out, which was way too early. I wasn't even 40 years old yet at that point. And doing a lot of things the wrong way and just doing the wrong things too as part of that. But it was a really, a very pivotal moment, those three years where I learned a lot about myself and I learned a, a lot about what to do and what not to do because of those experiences. Financially, it was fantastic when I sold. This was in 2016. Did you sell, did you sell to a DSO or did you sell to, to an associate? It was sold to the two associates but there was a business partner involved, a non, non-doctor business partner. Not that that can't work, but it didn't work in this example. And, and uh, they continued that business partnership. And I took a break. <laughs> I went into recovery mode, took a few months off while working on starting this new practice where I live now in Silverton. So Silverton's a town of about 10,000 people. Um, how many dentists were there before? Was there a dental office there? There were one, there's one practice with two doctors, solo practice, solo practice, and solo practice. Oh, and one more solo practice. So there are actually quite a few dentists in this small town. So is the market saturated, to say the least? For general dentistry, yes. But for pediatric dentistry, I would say no. And again, just having the tribal knowledge of the area, it really encompassed about 50,000 people. It's kind of a rural, you know, it's close to metro areas, but it's still a rural area. Right. And so I knew that it wasn't just the 10,000 people I was servicing. It was more than 50,000 people. What I didn't realize is that it was actually servicing families all the way out to the coast, which is some of those families were coming two plus hours away because of lack of alternatives that they were comfortable with. 
Oh, like so, I told you before we start recording, I, I've got a a friend who who has a pediatric dentistry practice, and it's predominantly Medicaid. Actually, James Osborne, one of the uh, earlier um, guests on the podcast, mm-hmm. and he uh, he has people who will drive two and a half hours away. Just yeah, to see it blows him. my mind, but it just shows you know, how big of a need there was. And I opened the doors, and we were slammed from day one. And I thought. You know, I'll do this for a year. I was already in the process of opening a second practice when the first one opened. So three months later, the second practice opened. I thought I'd do both, alternate weeks for a year, bring on one doctor in the second practice. After one year, I brought on three associates and they were all busy full-time between the two practices. Wow. Now, how far away is the second practice? 20, 25 minutes. Okay. And now your practice is not Medicaid, correct? It's about 70% Medicaid, which matches the Oregon demographic. Oh, Okay. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. We, and our, so, our purpose statement is every child gets a smile and that includes Medicaid patients. Every yeah. child in our community gets to come and see us. And so when you deal with Medicaid, now, obviously Medicaid, I, I believe Medicaid reimbursements have increased a little bit, which is typically unheard of. Not um, really. Not here. Not so okay. <laughs> but it's, it's, not, a, it's not the worst, but it's not the best either. It's kind of in the middle. It's a volume game. I mean, that, that's a volume business. This is not cosmetic dentistry where you're doing a $50,000 case like once a day or whatever. This is, this is a totally okay. different animal. Yeah, I mean, pediatric dentistry in general is a volume game. There are some boutique clinics out there, but generally speaking, pediatric dentists are going to see minimum 35 patients. Some will see 70 plus patients in a day. How many do you typically see? When I was practicing full-time with my own schedule, it was, yeah, that 55 to 70. Right. And that was at a, a normal, you know, we saw patients at eight o'clock and finished seeing patients at between four and four thirty. It wasn't an extended day. Right. So you opened the second practice and then you kept growing, correct? Right. Yeah. And kept looking, really looking at where are the patients coming from? That second practice, we leased a whole building, but we only built out part of it thinking that, you know, maybe three to five years down the road, we'll expand and do a phase two. Well, as soon as those two doctors started, they both wanted more space and we needed more space. So one year later, we had two doctors and we're doing our phase two build out. In hindsight, just build out the whole thing from the get go. It was such a waste of resources to do it in two phases that quickly together, but lesson learned. And we've done it differently since then with other clinics. But third clinic was really where are the patients coming from? We're getting maxed out on the schedule, need more capacity. And if you don't have it in the clinic, then we open a new clinic. And that's, that's how we've grown. We're so not how many clinics do you have now? Number. It's just, what is the need? So how many clinics do you have now? Our opening number six next week. Opening number six. And then geographically, how far away are all these clinics from each other? The furthest is... Little over an hour from where I live, going north, northwest of here, west of Portland. And the furthest south is about 45 to 50 minutes southwest of here. Between now, how often are you in these six clinics? I don't have my own schedule. I'm more in the batter's box. So I fill in for doctors. I practice sometimes a few days a month. Sometimes it's a full month if I'm helping cover for maternity leave. It just depends on what the need is at the time. And so six clinics, how many associates? There, we have nine doctors, including myself currently. 
And how many employees? We have it's 80 something. <laughs> so what have you learned from being a, you know, from the, your, the, when you first started out to now having, you know, 80 employees, nine doctors, including yourself, six locations. What are some of the, the, the lessons you've learned? For me personally, I've always been big on providing opportunities for people. You know, one of my sticky notes here, a note for myself is to use business as a mechanism for extraordinary self-development and discovery. And I'm trying to provide that for all the team members, not just for myself. One of the mindset shifts I had to make was thinking that everybody wanted that experience through work. (laughs) The truth is not everybody wants that. Some people really just want a good job and a good paycheck. And I think I'm still coming to terms with that, honestly, but I've come to terms with that's just where some people are at that phase in their, their life, their development. And we struggled because I was trying to push self-leadership on all of our team members and really turn some people off to our team because of that. And so we've shifted now to still supporting those people that have interest in leadership and providing those pathways for them, but also being okay with somebody just being a, a rock star, not a shooting star. And a solid team needs both, not just one or the other. Um, if you have all shooting stars and that is chaos, yeah, and lack of stability, so. right? A lot of turnover, but you can't have just rock stars or else there's no innovation. There's no creativity going on. You're not improving. And so we've really tried to come to a, a healthy balance, one with our expectations, but two with the support of the team members. So you, you were telling me beforehand through, you've kind of found some creative ways using real estate to expand your practices. Right. So talk a little bit about that. I love real estate. I'm, you know, initially Robert Kiyosaki, a rich dad, poor dad was my introduction into the real estate world. Fantastic. And really have kept a lot of those principles, um, such as being willing to work for free to get experience and realizing that that is actually going to get you ahead than just working for a paycheck. I loved the term mailbox money that he used. You know, you, the money comes in no matter what, and it could be completely hands-off if you have somebody that helps take care of those properties for you or minimal involvement if you self-manage properties. So I, I really love that because I do have six kids. I want free time. I don't want to be tied to being an employee of my own business every day, which is kind of how my dad was. He's, he's an optometrist, owns his, owns his own practice, very successful, but kept it small because he likes to have you know that work-life balance, quote unquote. Um, but anytime we would take a vacation, he would say, yeah, I'm still paying the bills and not making any money right now. <laughs> so that's how I knew I wanted to be not just a self-employed or an employee of my own business, but I wanted to be a business owner and investor where I could not have it all be on my own shoulders, provide flexibility for myself, provide flexibility for the people that I work with as well. And so- you had mentioned a specific story in one of your practices of off air where you were, yeah. it's kind of like the ultimate yeah. no money down deal. Yeah. So the real estate, I don't know which example to use, but you know, if the first practice just got an SBA loan, was able to purchase the practice and do the practice, or sorry, purchase the property, do the property improvements, do the practice development for zero money out of pocket, which is fantastic. There's some downsides to that though. So you just have to be mindful of SBA loans and what that means as you grow a business. 
The second practice um, just did a, your typical tenant renovations, but in the lease, I was able to negotiate the option to purchase the practice at any point for the current fair market value of that building prior to any improvements being done. And one thing that I've now come to realize more fully is that having a dental practice as a tenant automatically increases the value of a property, oh, wow. you know, a, a high value tenant versus a you know, tradition, any other you know, light business or like commercial business being there. So the value of that building increased fairly significantly once we were up and running, but I was able to purchase that building for the value as if there was no dental practice as one of the tenants. It's a multi-tenant property. And those owners were surprised how quickly I purchased the, the building from them. It was just a year later. They needed somewhere to put their cash. And so they gave me a private loan to then purchase an additional building in a different area where we started a clinic between a partial owner finance of that property with the private loan that they gave me. I was able to purchase the property and do the clinic build outs for again, zero money out of pocket. And we still have no practice debt on that practice other than the equipment financing that we have. And then after everything was up and running, improved the value of that building, which I bought undervalued. So I basically doubled the value of what I purchased for it. I was able to refinance into a commercial mortgage and pay off that private loan plus plus the owner financing piece and have, and that was at a 50% loan to value. That's that's fantastic. And now to finish off that, this phase of the story, our practice number six, I'm using the equity of that building as collateral to get traditional bank financing to help fund clinic number six, which otherwise we would not be able to do because we're growing so quickly. So real estate has been a very, very critical piece and has been able to get creative in growing the dental group without having to look at private equity as an option. At least at this point, it's not part of the conversation. We're, we're doing it ourselves and, and getting creative with it. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, just to use your entering instincts mm-hmm. to find ways to create opportunity Mm-hmm. And to do stuff, it's like, you know, if you weren't going to, th- if you, if you weren't willing to think outside the box, right. I mean, you would have left so much money on the table. You basically, you, you likely, I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. estimating probably doubled your actual net worth by thinking outside the box in these types of scenarios. Easily. Yep. And obviously will- the people who, who gave you the first right refuse on the property didn't even realize what they were doing. Yeah, not so much. I will say though, I wish I could take credit for all of this, but I do have to give credit to my real estate agent because purchasing that that next property with the private loan plus owner financing, we were on, I think we we're on plan J in order to make that happen. It was not plan A, B, or C. It was down the line quite a ways. And my real estate agent worked his magic to be able to configure this deal in such a way that everybody was able to benefit. No one took advantage of anybody. Everybody. Oh, so it's a true win, win, win all the way around. Absolutely. Yeah. And he also helped with the lease negotiation for that, you know, the initial or the, the second practice that I purchased later after being a tenant. So he has been instrumental 
in supporting this vision that we have of growing the dental group, the dental business, but utilizing real estate as a mechanism in order to do so. So it's find find smart people and and uh, you can do a lot of things if you take the ego out of it. You know, be humble and recognize that there are other people smarter than yourself and let them do what they do and focus on what you do best. Yeah, that's great. So as we wrap up, I could pick your brain on, on lots of things for quite a while, but we don't have that much time. But I always like to ask my list, my guests two things um, before we go. Number one, what advice would you give to a new dental school grad? I think the same as what I was looking for is find mentorship know that your student loans will be taken care of. Well, let's stop right there. Stop right there. So Mm -hmm. how many people, in your opinion, make decisions out of, let me just say it this way, out of fear because of the student loan debt, two, three, four thousand dollars of student loans. And so they make a decision on taking a job Mm -hmm. out of fear versus doing what, doing something differently and realizing it all take care of itself. I would say in my, cause I, I do all of the doctor recruiting for our group, right? In my conversations, I would say it doesn't matter if it's a new grad or an experienced doctor looking for their next work position. I would say it's at least three quarters, if not 90% of people are making decisions based out of fear rather than faith. Yeah. It's, it's a um, lot. It, it was really surprising to me. I thought there would be more people that are chasing the dream when really they're avoiding trying to avoid pain and and suffering and and failure when realizing that in order to actually truly accomplish and and make your dream a reality, you have to go through pain and suffering and failures to get there because we're not perfect. We have to go through those learning experiences. So in a way I've come to look forward to the mistakes and the quote unquote failures, because I know that that's getting me one step closer to my end goal that I have for myself and for our team. Yeah, so walk in faith, don't walk in fear. When it, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have student loans. M- most everyone does. It'll all sort itself out. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world. I would add retirement's overrated, so don't try and get out in totally. you know, 15 or 20 yeah. years. You gotta, yeah, I mean, you know, you, know, you want to be able to make sure you can take care of yourself, take care of your family if that's you know part of the equation, right? So you don't need as much as you think you do. Really right. what you need, especially coming out of school, is you need an opportunity to learn the things that you haven't learned yet in school. That will get you much further ahead than just taking a job because you can potentially maximize your income, which I will tell you, a lot of people have been extremely disappointed because they were chasing a number or a you know, percentage of compensation that might have been slightly higher than another opportunity. And a year or two later, they're looking for another job because it wasn't what they expected. So look for mentorship, look for opportunity to grow. The financial piece will happen as a result if you get those pieces in place. Yeah. And then last thing I ask, I ask everyone, what books would you recommend? But I don't know if you've read a book because you have no time at home in a three-bedroom apartment with, with eight people. In addition, and by the way, for those who didn't hear, I mentioned before, the youngest two are twins. And how old are the twins? They're two. Two. Okay. I have a two and a half year old. So, so, so when he's, so the three hours or four hours of uh, sleep, he gets a day, a, a night, if he's, he's running triathlons and practicing. So he doesn't have time to read books because he's either running or parenting. I actually do read a lot 
I, I know you do because people yeah. like you always do. You know, I, I, I can see your library behind you. I have one very similar to that. Uh, a lot of them I haven't read yet. Admittedly. Yeah, I'm good at collecting. I'm good, I like to yeah. read, but I do collect a lot too. Yes. Yeah, it's part of the fun. Yeah. But I would say the one that I just finished recently is, oh my gosh, it is a tribal leadership. And Who wrote loved that? it. Oh, I'm not great at remembering authors' names. Let's see. I don't have it here because I gave well, it to somebody. Yeah, I was looking up on Amazon. It is, I believe it's two authors, but it's it's a heavy book. It's not just you know a light read. Um, you know, some business books are moving into more of the the story or parable type of a book, but this is goes through the different types of leadership and it really brought a lot of clarity to some of the frustrations that I've had in the past, particularly with myself as a leader, realizing some of the shortcomings that I've had to navigate and now brought a much better understanding of how to actually lead a team and help a team develop collectively, not just individually, which is my big focus has been individual improvement, individual transformation, but now we're going to, it's going to be much easier to do that on an organizational level. So I'm really excited about that. That's pretty cool right there. That's really cool. So if someone said, you know, this Tim Richardson guy is amazing. I'd love to pick his brain on stuff, you know, in the um, six seconds a year, he has of extra time. If someone wanted to reach out to you and ask and ask you for advice, would you be open to that? If so, how would they get in touch with you? Absolutely. I, I love the, you know, I have kind of a, one of my mantras is get your education, make your mark, prepare to serve. So I am in that phase where I've, you know, still learning, obviously always will, but I've gotten a great education in school and after school. I've made a pretty good mark so far, but I'm really looking at that mentorship piece and being able to help support other people to pursue their passions and their dreams. So I'm always open to conversations, bounce ideas off of, I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. And you're checking. So if they send you a Facebook message, you'll see it and you'll check it, right? Correct. Yeah. I'm not on it every day necessarily. Probably should be on it more. Well, maybe not, but no, I do get those messages. Right. Yeah. I do get those messages, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, or you can just, you know, look up Acorn Dentistry for Kids. You can find me that way. We're great. So obviously, guys, this is this is a this is a sharp cat, someone who's definitely worth um, picking their brain. Tim, this has been a this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. This was fun. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brandon. Tune in next week for our next episode. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. 2021-1195-35. Expriers 423. That last part can also say 2021-119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial and Opinion Stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor at Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. 2022-136-356. Expiration 0424. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.